Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. We are one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. For more information about who we are and where we meet, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. In 2021, in the United States of America, there was a survey done by the company Ipsos. And they wanted to get to the bottom of this question. What impression do people have of Christians? And so they asked 3,199 people, what words come to mind to describe Christians in your opinion? And then they split the answers into three different groups. So there were answers given by people who would themselves identify as Christians. There were answers given by people who would identify as part of a different faith group. And then there were answers given by people who would say, no, I I don't have any faith uh, in any religion, in anything like that. So three different sets of answers. And they compiled a list of the top five answers given by Christians, top five answers given by people of other faiths, top five answers given by people of no faith. And just say, what words do you expect came up on those lists? Well, what do you think might have come up? Hypocrite. Which list do you think that was on? Okay. Hypocrisy on the no faith list. You're absolutely right. Yeah, that is one of the answers that came up. That's quite a commonly held opinion. Actually, it came up on list two and three. Both of those groups would say hypocritical. Yeah. Any others that people thought might come up? Judgmental. Judgmental. Yes. Did it flash on the screen or something? Oh, you know the answers. Let's not carry on this um, charade any longer then. Can we just have the lists? Um, So these are the lists, and I find it absolutely fascinating. So the take that Christians had on what Christians are like is giving. I mean, we saw the the big response, but Christians are giving. Compassionate, loving, respectful, and friendly people. And yet, if you ask anyone else, anyone who's not a Christian, what Christians are like, it's a very different picture, isn't it? The other faiths and the no-faith list have the, the top four answers in common, judgmental, hypocritical, self-righteous, and arrogant. Now, the other faiths were kind enough to say friendly as number five, uh, whereas the no-faith group just stuck the boot in and was like, and unforgiving as well. That's what Christians are like. The contrast there blows my mind. Uh, It makes me wonder, do we have a bit of an image problem, do you think? Uh, Or or maybe it's not an image problem. Maybe we have a reality problem. Maybe uh, too much of these things on these lists has actually snuck into the way we live, the way we conduct. So maybe we're even a bit blind to it some of the time. You're not seeing these same answers being given over here. And I know there's a lot of stuff out there that goes under the name Christian that really isn't Christian, and that might impact some of the answers given. Actually, we'll be talking about that a bit next week. But I I just want to dig in a little bit to what is going on here, because there were people at the time of Jesus who lived exactly like these lists are saying. There were people who were judgmental of others. There were people who didn't practice what they preached. They talked a good game but didn't do it. That's hypocrisy. They were people who were just a bit big on themselves and thought they were completely bossing the living for God thing. They were self-righteous 
and arrogant. And they were called the Pharisees. And Jesus would frequently challenge them. He would frequently uh, speak against the way they were living. He would say things like, don't be like those hypocrites. Or you've heard it said, do this, but, but I'm saying do that. He was calling people to a very different way. And this term, we've been looking into one of his most famous bits of teaching, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he's given a vision for what life in his kingdom looks like. And it does look a bit like this list on this side, giving, compassionate, loving, respectful, friendly. This is what Jesus is trying to draw us towards, and he's trying to challenge this stuff. So isn't it a bit of a problem that people are seeing more of this and less of that when they look at us? So I don't really want to do a critique today at a distance of how other people are living or what other people are doing. Really, I just want us to think about these issues and reflect on our own lives and the way we handle ourselves as, uh, as a church, as a community, as Christians today. We're going to do it through, from Matthew chapter 7. So we're getting towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount now. And we're in Matthew 7. I'm going to read 1 to 12 as our passage, and then we'll focus in on just uh, a few verses from it. And this is a passage that's got a couple of the most famous things that Jesus ever said. So you might find some of it familiar. Uh, Matthew 7, if you've got a Bible or want to open an app, feel free or follow on the screen if that suits you better. So Jesus is speaking and he says, Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. The measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbour's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbour, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbour's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. Ask, and it will be given you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who searches, finds. And everyone, for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. I'm going to focus on the first six verses of that reading today. In verse 1, Jesus says this, Do not judge. I wonder if that verse has become the most well-known, the favourite, most quoted verse of our generation. Don't judge. Have you heard people say things like, only God can judge me? I don't know how people can say that flippantly. That's quite a a terrifying statement to say in such a blasé way. But you can can see why it's such a, a popular sentiment, can't you? Jesus is telling us not to judge other people. And 
If we just think about what that might mean, uh, I had a look at a dictionary, what is it to judge? I found three definitions which um, should appear on the screen. So uh, I, I think of those three, number two seems to be the one that captures the essence of what he's saying there. To express a bad opinion of someone's behaviour often because you think you're better than them. So having a bad view of how someone else is living out of this sense of, well, I'm better than you. I, I, I'm nailing this, and you're not. And it's interesting because this definition doesn't actually specify whether their behaviour is fine or whether their behaviour is bad, but it's getting at your heart towards it. If you're thinking of it in a certain way because you perceive uh, yourself better than them, that's the judging thing. And you know it doesn't feel nice, right? I guess most of us have experienced at one time or another being on the receiving end of it and feeling judged by someone. I remember years ago when I was first getting to know Emma, one of the things that at that time of life it was quite important was getting to know the significant people in one another's lives. So meeting friends, meeting family members, and it's always a bit like nerve-wracking. You're trying to make a good impression. You want them to like you and to approve and to like, welcome you into the life of their family member or friend. And most of the time, it was going really well. But I remember with one individual, it was really hard work. It felt like every time I met this person, it just I, I wasn't making a good impression. Like, I just wasn't good enough. The way I talked wasn't good enough. The way I ate wasn't good enough. The way I stood, the way I dressed, what I did. Everything about me just didn't feel good enough. And it just felt frustrating. It felt demoralised. It was quite hurtful, this experience of what it is to be judged. And thankfully, like, time does change things, and I have a good relationship with this person now. But uh, at the moment, so this is not a pleasant thing. Isn't it heartbreaking that this is the word, that more than any other, that people who aren't Christians say, that's the word that when I think of Christians, I get. That's the feeling. That's the impression. That, that's what it lands on me from interactions I've had with Christians, that I feel judged. Which is completely bonkers when you think about what Christianity is. Like, when you become a Christian, what you're saying is, yeah, I, I'm a sinner. I, I need God's grace. I don't have any standing of my own. I'm not better than anyone. Like, I'm, uh, I'm completely helpless and dependent on God's mercy. How do you get from that to, yeah, you suck, I'm better than you. Like, it just is bonkers how you can make that journey, and yet people get this impression, maybe partly through like the public discourse, the way Christians like present views into the world, maybe through private interactions with people they've met and just had that sense of like just the eye roll or the, uh, the kind of that, that internal, oh, not you again, and, and maybe not even thinking the person's picking up on it, but they definitely are. And so in this little story that Jesus tells, he shows two problems with judging other people. And the first one is it's distorted. The person who's doing it doesn't even see. They can't understand. They don't have the whole picture. So he, he has this image of someone with a log in their eye. Now, I didn't have a whole log, but I had a chopped up bit of log for the fire. Just imagine if you've got this in your eye, but then multiplied by, well, I'm here with this in my eye. And I'm trying to say, hey, look, there's a speck in your eye. You need to, I can't see what's in your eye. I have no idea what's going on because this is on my face getting in the way. I don't see the whole picture. And he's saying, when you try and judge someone else, 
usually you don't actually fully see what's going on. You don't really understand. Now, about a week ago, uh, Sam, who's here with us today, had a lesson at school that he found interesting and wanted to tell me about, and uh, I thought you might find it quite interesting as well. So, Sam, I've asked if, um, if you'll just come forward and tell us about your lesson at school. <laughs> often stole from other people to give to the poor after she ran out of money but so, but sometimes it makes the rating go up like there was this person who when they were a boy kept stealing from shops and most people gave him a low rating but then after it said that he was dyslexic and at that time lots of people didn't understand that and he didn't have many friends so he had hung out with his older brother's friends and then they got him to do dares and he felt like he had to to impress them so then that made the rating for him go up a bit. Great, can we just give them some appreciation? Thanks so much for sharing that, Sam. Uh, but it's true, isn't it? Like, uh, in that, you knew part of the story, and if you knew the full story, maybe things were different. And isn't that true with everyone we meet? So when I see what's going on in, in your life, I get a snapshot. I know certain things. I'm, I'm aware of little bits of the story, but I don't know the whole story. So how can I see what's going on? How could I form a judgment? It's like there's plenty in the way of me seeing what's really going on. And it's fascinating, isn't it? Because when it comes to ourselves, when it comes to our own actions and our own words and the things we've done, we fill in the details. Like someone might say something about us and say, oh yeah, but you don't know this, or there's a reason for that, or here's why. We can fill in the details for ourselves. And that tends to give mercy for ourselves. And yet with others, because we don't know those things, we can form those judgments. John Watson said this, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. I think he's absolutely right. The second thing about this story that I know, it's not just that you have a distorted picture. Just think about how arrogant it is to be focusing on the flaws that other people have totally oblivious to this. Like if I'm telling you about this little itty bitty speck in your eye while I'm walking around with this, it's ludicrous, isn't it? But it can be so easy to focus on the issues that other people have. And it can be so easy to be blind to our own things. We, we write the story, we tell the narrative that just misses out all the stuff in our own life or excuses or justifies it while uh, zeroing in on everything 
wrong with someone else. NPR, the media company, put out a, a story and, and they put links on all their social media program, uh, uh, profiles and the headline of it was this, why Americans don't read. And then, um, <laughs> th then they got loads of people commenting on this post. Now, they actually did it on April the 1st, um, so you can see there's probably going to be a catch to it. And when you clicked on this article, uh, you were taken to a web page that just had this on it. Congratulations, genuine readers, and happy April Fool's Day. We sometimes get the sense that some people are commenting on NPR stories that they haven't actually read. If you are reading this, please like this post and do not comment on it. Then let's see what people have to say about this story. Uh, and then when you read the comments, you get all these uh, scathing indictments about people who are too lazy to read and don't, uh, and don't get informed before they express their views. Completely oblivious to the fact they're doing exactly the thing they're slamming other people for. At the heart of judgmentalism is this premise. Your stuff is worse than my stuff. And that's totally not true. You know, as I've been a Christian for about 20 years, my impression at the start was it would go something like this. Right, I've become a Christian. I know I've got a bunch of stuff. I'll walk with Jesus. I'll become more mature. Some of my stuff will get sorted out. And eventually, I'll have less and less stuff and be better and better and better. That's what I thought would happen. What I've realised is over time, it's like I'd be doing it for a bit, then I'd get this kind of new insight, and God would show me more of my own heart. And be like, oh, oh, okay, I thought I was like here, but no, I've seen more. And then a bit later, I see more, and see my own motives, and see what's going on inside me, and see what I'm thinking, and how I'm interacting with others. And it's like I'm getting bigger and bigger and bigger insights into it, isn't just a speck in my eye, it's a log in my eye, it's a huge tree in my eye, and I'm seeing more and more about my own stuff. That's how it goes. As we walk with Jesus, it should. It should cultivate in us a compassion to one another and an insight into our own depths of struggle, our own depths of sin, our own issues. It's so helpful when you get this insight into yourself to then foster that mercy in the way we respond to one another, particularly when you think about the grace that God has shown me, despite all my stuff. He's still so kind. He's still so loving. He's still so generous. And if he's like that to me... I write you off? How can I write anyone off when I've received this mercy from him? I said we do six verses. I've focused on five so far. I'm going to read verse six now because this links. Um, he says, do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them underfoot and turn and maul you. I think it's absolutely fascinating that Jesus said this right after telling us not to judge one another. I actually think it's very important that he said this because this really clarifies what he means and what he doesn't mean by what he's been saying. What, what he's talking about here is situations that you'll be bringing something good. So he describes it as pearls. Maybe that's sharing the gospel with someone. Maybe it's bringing friendship. Maybe it's being in their life. Maybe it's giving something of yourself. You're bringing something into someone's life. And yet the way they respond to it is like 
trampling it underfoot, like these swine trampling the purse, where they're treating whatever you're bringing, all the, the love or care or the message you're bringing, whatever it might be, they're treating it with disdain. Or even it becomes a situation that's harmful. It says these swine might turn and maul you. That's quite an evocative thing. But imagine you're bringing something of yourself into a situation that ends up harmful, that ends up destructive. He's picturing moments like that. And what Jesus does with his disciples is he sends them out into the world, but he's aware that there might be circumstances like this that they face as they're meeting different people, as they're building relationships, as they're connecting into society. And he's saying, look, don't get involved in those kind of situations. He said, don't be naive about the way you relate to people. Because we might hear words like do not judge and think, well, Okay, if I'm not to judge, then maybe what I need to do is just be accepting of everybody and therefore let everybody into my life. It's not quite what he's saying. This is a crucial distinction he's actually making here. Judgmentalism versus discernment. Okay, they're not the same thing. Let me give an example to show what I mean. So a few days ago, I was coming home. Uh, I was in the evening. I'd I'd driven home from uh, an event I was at and I wanted to reverse my car onto my drive. As I was driving up the road, there was a bloke, and it looked like he was about to cross the turning circle where I'd be reversing, so I just held fire in my car for a moment to let him pass, but he didn't actually walk past. It's like he'd, he'd seen me, and he'd just turned and was walking in a different direction. He was probably, I don't know, late 20s, kind of uh, cap hoodie, kind of looked slightly on the scruffy side, uh, but that was fine. I didn't think anything of it. Then I saw... Uh, older teenager, so maybe 16, 17, something like that, a lad who did cross my driveway, so I let him go past as well. Then I put my car on my drive. As I'm getting out of the car, this uh, 16, 17-year-old lad walks onto my drive and he stands next to the car door as I'm getting out. And he looks shaken. He looks kind of in a bit of a state. And so I said said to him, like, is everything all right? And uh, he said, no, actually the bloke who was walking down the other end of the road, I'm feeling intimidated. So my house is at the far end of the road, past where this guy is, and I don't want to walk past him. I've been walking from the bus stop. It seems like he might be following me. It seems like I feel threatened by him. Uh, The way he's walking, he's kind of weaving all over the place. Uh, I, I, I just need help. I need to get home. And so I was able to help him. I just like walked him down the other end of the road um, and um, he called his dad who came and picked him up. Everything got sorted. But thinking about what this teenager was doing as he was relating to this guy, he was looking at the circumstance he was facing. And this circumstance involved a person. This circumstance involved him trying to wrestle with and figure out what he was going to do in relation with this person. But he wasn't saying, you see that bloke? I'm better than him. He wasn't saying, do you see that bloke? He's definitely a bad one. He's doing this and we, we should think badly of him. He wasn't going down those lines at all. He was asking a different question. He was asking, in this situation that I'm facing, it's dark and I need to walk past this man, do I feel safe? That was the question that he was asking. And his answer was, I don't feel safe. What this example hopefully shows is the difference between judgmentalism, where you're thinking negatively of a person, and discernment, where you're assessing a situation 
and how it relates to you. One of them is negative, but the other one's actually a healthy thing. It's important that we be discerning in the people that we let in to our lives. That's what Jesus is getting at here. There are so many situations that discernment is really important. So last week we had, uh, we called it Safeguarding Sunday, and we had a video of Lizzie on the screen talking about why, why safeguarding is such an important thing. It's a priority for us as a church. We want to make sure that we're discerning who gets to work with children in the church, who gets to work with vulnerable people. We don't want to be unwise to uh, who's appropriate to be in what kind of situation. Or in our society today, we talk a lot about the phrase toxic relationships, don't we? We talk about relationships, these could be romantic or other relationships, where, where someone's opened up their lives to someone, but it ends up causing harm, it ends up being destructive, it ends up doing bad things in their life. That's like the pearls trampled under the feet or the, the turning to maul. Jesus is saying, don't judge, but don't just open yourself up to anything and to harm. You can do both of these things at the same time. Here's the difference. Judgmentalism is about hate. Discernment's about boundaries. It's about setting a definition of, okay, I, I don't want my pearls to be trampled. I don't want to be mauled. So the way we'll relate will look like this, but not this. This is what's okay. This is what's not okay. The um, American author Brené Brown has done a lot of study about this. And she says, what do people who consistently extend an assumption of generosity towards others share in common? They have a disciplined practice of setting, maintaining, and respecting boundaries. You see, in verses 1 to 5, the question is looking at good or bad. You know, I'm, I'm judging a person, so I'm saying they're bad or they're good. In verse 6, the question is healthy or unhealthy. I just wonder, I think it's been important to go into this verse. I wonder if just for some of us in here, there's just something for you here. Because we can be so nice sometimes. We, we can learn some of the lessons that Jesus is teaching. But I wonder if we've become so nice that we haven't uh, been helpfully discerning a lot of the time. Uh, and it can feel like we're engaged in different relationships where what we're bringing isn't appreciated, where those pearls are being trampled into the ground. And I think this verse is Jesus giving us permission to put those boundaries in place for health. That's important. So if we're summarising what's going on here, I think we can do it in two phrases. Do not judge, but do not be naive. There's a Roman Catholic priest called Joe Corpora. And in the Roman Catholic tradition, one of the things they do that is a bit different to how we do things is people will give confession to their church leader. So they'll uh, go and they'll say, like, bless me, Father, for I sinned, and then they'll confess whatever they want to confess. Uh, and Joe Corpora says the most common confession that he hears. Of all the things, like imagine what people might want to confess, like their anger, their lust, whatever it might be. He says, by far the most common is judgmentalism. People come into him and say, look, look, I'm critical of my grandchildren's spouses. I'm always judging my mother-in-law about everything. I'm judgmental towards whole groups of people. The confession of judgmentalism, he says, uh, just is completely more common than any other. And he says whenever someone confesses judgmentalism to him, he tells them the story of the red car. And the story of the red car is about a time that he went shopping. 
So he went to the shop, he parked in a parking space outside the store, and then someone else parked in front of him, and they parked really tight up against him, so there wasn't room for him to manoeuvre his car out. And this car in front of him had the engine running, so he got back in his car, and he was waiting for this car to move, and it wasn't moving, and so, I don't know if you've ever had this in, in your car, where you're just getting slightly agitated, and then a little bit more agitated, and then it's just... The longer it goes on, the more wound up you are, and then the frustration starts to become not just in your head, but out loud, and like you're shouting, and like you know they're not going to hear, but you're shouting it anyway. And then he, he saw in the car in front of him, there was actually someone sitting in the passenger seat of the car. And he's like, come on, surely this person in the passenger seat can just uh, scoot over into the driver's seat and just inch it forward to let me out. And that winds him up even more. So then he's kind of on the horn, like, burp, burp, and they're still not responding. So then he goes so far as to get out of his car to knock on the window of the car in front and say, come on, just move your car forward. And as he does, as he knocks on the window, there's a, there's a lady sitting in the car, and she's turning to him, and she smiles at him, and he can see that the lady in this car is blind. And all of a sudden, he feels awful because he's been like angry, he's been hammering. And there was a reason, there was an absolutely real and valid reason why she wasn't able to go into the driver's seat and drive that car forward a little bit. And what he says is, if I'd have had that one extra piece of information, the way I'd come at that circumstance would be completely different. And then to these people who'd made confession to him, he says, you're confessing, you're judgmental of whoever it may be. What's the one piece of information you don't have? You don't see the full story. What don't you know? Maybe it's something the person experienced growing up, and that's led them into the circumstances they're in. Maybe it's something they're carrying at the moment that you just don't know about. And then he says this, that this is where God's judgments are so different to ours. Because God has all the data, all the information. God knows exactly what we are like. And then this is the amazing bit. Thus, he is always ready to forgive and to show his mercy. Isn't that incredible? The God who knows everything, who knows all the circumstances, who knows all the reasons, who knows how deep it goes, how big the speck is, how big the log is, who doesn't have a speck or log of his own. Isn't it so incredible that that doesn't lead him to dismiss us, that doesn't lead him to uh, throw us aside, but it leads him to be ready to forgive and have mercy. In Isaiah, it says, Come now, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That he knows it all, and yet his instinct isn't to judge, but is to forgive. And he sent his son, his one and only son into the world, to take that sin, to die for that sin. That's his heart. Of mercy. He calls us to share that heart for one another. So I'd love us to respond to this. I think for some of us, seeing those lists at the start, the lists on the one side that were judgmentalism, hypocrisy, self-righteousness, all of that stuff, and the list over here, the, the giving, caring, kind, compassionate list, I think some people might be stirred. Like, look, I, I do see stuff over here. I see too much of it, and I desire that. I want to live this way. How do I do it? And the bit of the passage we've not really dug into, Jesus says this, ask, 
seek, knock. We're not going to do this just by like um, tying up our shoelaces, getting our gear, and I'm going to go for this myself. That will just lead to more of the self-righteousness. This comes as a gift. This is a work of God birthed in us. So for some of you, I just want to ask and seek and knock to go to God, the Father who gives good gifts, and ask him to birth this character in us. For some of us, I think maybe today's made you just aware of some particular stuff in your own life. Like maybe God's been highlighting what the speck or the log or whatever it might be in your own eye is. You've been seeing particular things. You're like, yeah, I, I, I know there's this. We sometimes use this verse, don't judge, as a, oh, so we can all just crack on with whatever we want. That's not quite what it means. Get rid of the speck in your own eye, he says. And I think some of us might have particular stuff to repent of. And maybe this is a moment to do business with God on some stuff. And actually, some of you might resonate with those surveys at the start, whether you'd call yourself a Christian or whether you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Maybe actually the experience you've had is like the experience a lot of people said, that you've found judgmentalism, you've found hypocrisy as you've engaged with Christians before. Let me just say, I'm so sorry if that's the experience you've had. I want you to know that isn't the way of Jesus. And hopefully as we're looking at the words of Jesus throughout the Bible, you'll see that isn't his way. Thanks for listening. To explore this sermon or learn more about our church, please navigate to the links provided in this podcast description. From there, you can connect with us on social media and you're welcome to check out the music links featured in this episode. From our very own musicians. You can also discover current events and information about where we meet on Sundays and various groups or community projects that you can join in with. If you're interested in knowing more about us or wish to join us for one of our meetings, please reach out. Simply drop us an email at hello at ccm.org.uk We look forward to connecting with you.